selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life, hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you insurgency me up, man. in their you lives. Fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. You know what I love so much about people in this world are the people that have vision, the people that can see through the nonsense. Man, those are the creative people. Those are the inspirational people. Those are the motivators that drive me, Marcus, that get me fired up, that they're, they get in my skin, they get in my heart, and they make me want to be a better human being. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to understand the, that transition and what it means. Right, and the best part about this and kind of an underlying way is the fact that he's he's one of us. Oh, shipmate. And he has a he's shipmate. Yeah, so you, we can ask him and he'll talk about stuff that most people won't. He'll get into the bread and butter of it. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Well, listen, welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford. I'm here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell, and the Wizard. <laughs> He's 
wearing his Gandalf robe. He's got his giant staff. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're dude, still gonna do the big green thing. We are, right? Dude, yeah. big, I just he always wears green. Dude, that's true. That's Wait, bizarre. Yesterday, his lid, yeah. his, his t-shirt. You know what? I just watched The Wizard of Oz with my two girls. Who great, are, right? Huh? It's great. Oh, yeah. bro. Yeah. So. It was like a dream come true. It was like I was a kid. You know, the original one. The original one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not the one. Wait, is there another one? Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Yeah. yeah Judy Garland. Judy Garland. Cool. Nice. Nice. Absolutely. They have a there's a ride at Disney World. We just got back from there, and it's a it's kind of a trip through old movies. Yeah, uh, you know I love that, right? Yeah, you do. And uh, they had a whole set designed for when she first lands in Oz. In Munchkinland. Munchkinland. We are the little people of Munchkinland. 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 <laughs> How scary was that witch? Oh right? my even, god! Even even with the monsters today, and oh. you got to hand it to old movies back in the day. It was the music, right? It was just that eerie, ding, 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 you know, just well, a couple of piano riffs. Yeah, yeah, score music for the orchestra. Right. Awesome. I mean, just do you remember the little dudes like the Jaws, little, Friday the Thirteenth? All the, those scores just scare the. Remember like the little midgets who came out, the little tough guys, dude. Oh yeah, so they had it was a whole set. of... It's like a hundred small people. It was robotic, yeah, on, on the set of Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and did you read and the it, stories about those guys as partiers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, what's that about? No, there's this whole story about they had a cast of like a hundred little people, but they were maniac partiers, and well, they put them in I these hotels off the lot, and they trashed the hotel rooms. They they were out of their minds partying. Now, if you're a distant relative, I'm no disparaging team guys do that all the time. But but what what I'm saying is you you know you watched the movie. Well, I heard it was the first time they had a co- a collective of of convention, if yeah, you will, that many in in one place. One spot. Thou yeah. shalt not congregate, little people. Oh man, explosive! I'm telling you, a lot of energy. Dude. <laughs> Did we go down a rabbit got, hole yeah, with? Yeah. with <laughs> an extraction. Extraction. All right, all right, all right, all right. Well, let's get back to our listeners. Listen, if you're this your first time, welcome to the Team Never Quit podcast. We're super fired up that you're here. You're in store for one hell of a show. I mean, this thing is going to literally blow you away. No pun intended. Sorry, Brad. But this one is going to be a doozy for you. I'm telling you, you're going to get information off this that's going to help you see things in a whole new light in your life. All right, if you're coming back, man, I mean, they're coming back in droves. Dude. That's amazing. I'm, can you believe? I mean, you no, just, I can't. I, can't believe it. I mean, we talk about it all the time, dude. Wow, we want to just thank y'all. Randomly I mean, throw it out at dinner or sitting on the couch at the end of the night. Can you believe the people listen? <laughs> no, two point seven million downloads on our shows and and the the emails that we're getting in and the the reader stories your never quit stories we are so just incredibly overwhelmed with the support i was just on on itunes podcast site and where we're located in society and culture there and i was reading some of our reviews man and i'm just blown away we are so blessed and privileged to be able to bring this show to all you if, if you could for us, what we would love to have you do is go find somebody in your life that's in a never quit moment, that's really struggling in some capacity, and introduce our show to them, if you could. Introduce these incredible guests that we have on to tell these amazing never quit stories so that they too can learn 
the never quit mindset and to become a part of the team never quit, right? This collective of people that we have that is is focused on resiliency and grit and willpower, determination, commitment, and just all over living a, a, a hardcore team life, man. That's what I get fired up. I mean, that that's pretty special stuff, Wizard. What do you say, man? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, you're always so so filled with so much to assist in in my gratitude. I appreciate that, but you do have other responsibilities. You enjoy being verbose. You, you do. <laughs> Never at a loss. I dig it. All right. So, Brad Snyder. I mean, EOD. Let's, let's just start with EOD. Mm-hmm. You you guys worked. I, here here's my first memory of EOD. You ready for this? Yeah. We're in Afghanistan. We're going on this op, right? Join op with bunch green berets, big thing. And anyways, on the way home, we had one EOD dude with us. And and at that time, there were 25 million landmines still in, in Afghanistan. So it was a little oh, yeah. sketchy drive around. Thank God there were no IEDs and any of that. They, they hadn't learned all that stuff yet. But I remember we came over this pass, dropped down, and there was this crater. In the, I mean, like 30 by 30, obviously an mm. anti-tank mine that they had put out there and we come right and we're like yo bro <laughs> get up there go <laughs> yeah, look at that <laughs> and i remember he was in our vehicle i was rear security while he's driving and i said and he's walking up there and i said hey bro let me back up first <laughs> yeah i'm gonna create some standoff get some cover you go to look at that but, Seems dangerous. We're going to get out of here while you take care of this. <laughs> but that dude, no doubt, he walked up there, right, and looked at it, start, and he walked that road for like 500 meters in front of us, and I was like, man, that's about as courageous as anything I've ever seen, man. So I got mad respect for you, Cat. Oh, man, when we go out, when we were in Ramadi, the first, you know, Pathfinder would have to roll out and clear the routes before we could even think about going outside the gate, and then we'd pull up to the gate to station, and then you'd see them coming back in, just a couple of them rolling in, the other one on a wrecker, one of them missing something. And like, we only got halfway down. <laughs> halfway, <Man>. dude. <laughs> we had one night, there was, I think it was 23 IEDs in the road. Oh, Those guys are worth their weight in salt, man. They've taken the biggest hit, mm-hmm. I think, out of any of our communities, right? They've they've had some losses, man. Right. Some yeah. dramatic losses. And I mean, as far as Brad goes, you got to hand to him, man. He walks to SF. If you want to find out how to get motivated in, in multiple capacities, he's military, EOD, special forces. Then he went in a swimmer. Then he's an Olympian. Now he's a motivational speaker I mean, and a teacher at the U.S. Naval Academy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Teaching so, leadership. Man. Right. Holy yeah, I got, smoke! I got, I got nothing but appreciation for those guys that were attached to the platoons I was in. I mean, they were. You know, they, what they do is they pull out those EOD, they'll pull out their top guys and they'll attach them to us and to augment and they serve a very valuable purpose, whether it's dealing with ordnance on target or <laughs> things you run into. And in you route said or they went through their whole workup with you, right? Right. They go through the whole thing. I mean, they pretty much become, except for the fact they didn't go to buds and they're not actually seals, they, these guys go through. That's so cool. EOD operators. I mean, they're part of the team. They're in the train with us. Yeah, a couple of the guys that were in my last platoon are at Damn Neck now. Are they really? Oh, yeah. I got a ton of respect for these guys. Well, here's what we need to do. Can you 
just go down Brad's resume for us for just to give our listeners the magnitude of what this cat, who he is, what he's done, and just to prep our listeners a little bit for what they're in store for. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. He starts out when he gets to the Naval Academy. We'll start there. He gets to the Naval Academy. He's captain of the swim team. Um, he graduates from there. He goes to EOD school, becomes an EOD officer, uh, gets attached to Team 10, goes over there, does a deployment, uh, goes through a rough patch there at the beginning. He had uh, he'd lost a buddy a couple of years before. It was real close to him. And then uh, his father also passes away on this first deployment. And then in September of 2011, on insert to a target, he is assisting in um, he's assisting in a pressure plate that had gone off prior to this. Um, ends up running into a second one, and this causes him to lose his eyesight. Takes serious lacerations of the face, uh, shattered eardrum. He ends up spending three weeks in intensive care, recover from that. Uh, another five weeks in Florida, permanently loses all his eyesight. Now, what's kind of amazing is. He goes back to swimming, and how quickly he does this is very interesting. By May of 2012, he competes in the Warrior Games in Colorado Springs. He wins uh, four gold medals there, and this, uh, that opens a door to, to going further down this path. Then competes in the U.S. Paralympic Swimming Trials, crushes it there, uh, wins the 400-meter 400 free, uh, freestyle. In the 100-meter freestyle, he becomes a world record holder. He continues, carries us into 2012 in the Paralympic Games in London. He wins gold in the 100-meter freestyle. He wins a silver medal in the 50 freestyle. Uh, he wins gold again in the 400-meter. And subsequently, he had set, uh, he had set a Paralympic record in the 100-meter freestyle. Following that, then he goes back to Rio again. 2016 wins the 50-meter freestyle, the 100, and the 400-meter. All three of those, he wins gold as well as a silver medal in the 100-meter backstroke. He's uh, written a book called Fire in My Eyes, uh, an American warrior's journey from being blinded on the battlefield to gold medal victory. Um, it's just, it's an incredible story how he is, the metamorphosis here. You, you know what I feel like when like you read his? Same way I felt with Andy's, you know? I'm like, I'm like, <laughs> There's too damn. many awesome things here. <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> That's happening. When we had Benny on, we didn't even get into the... Uh, half the stuff about him being on TV and winning all that stuff, we just didn't have time to incorporate. That's because great, he has you know. so much, yeah, such you know, a sick a background, a, right? I guess like that. That's that's cool, man. Oh, well, what what a and and I really want you know to set the 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 tone for where our listeners are at because you're about ready to hear a guy that's just filled with positivity. He's filled with energy, and again, he's filled with a uh, vision. And uh, an outlook on life that really will help improve and change your life should you choose to just open your eyes and open your heart to what he's saying. So, what do you think, gents? Should we bring him on? Mm-hmm. Once again, brother, once, once more into the breach, unto the breach, I'm telling you, I am feeling that special kind of feeling in my gut, right? Because we have another one of our own, Mm -hmm. right? Another one of our true Navy brethren, another one of our special unit brothers that are here to share with us in a whole nother level, right? 
A whole nother level. It is, it, I can see it. I can see you getting fired up, dude. Don't lie to me, dude. You're super fired I know, up. Aren't I, you? I am. I'm Why? ready, man. I, this guy's story is great. So, and you know, all my bu- the buddies we have that go to the Naval Academy. So I can't wait to get into this. Oh, dude, I just that alone is going to be epic. Much less the gold medals, the explosions, all the stuff that we're going to get at Wizard. You fired up, brother? Absolutely. All right, don't don't bust out of the seat over there. But in mm. all our list, that is he is excited. I'm telling you that, yeah. that he's just contained. He's he's a focused. He's he's not a crazy man, you know, like I am. But all right, so Marcus, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Wizard, are you ready? <laughs> yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome the phenomenal Mr. Brad Snyder. Brad, how you doing, brother? I'm swell, brother. Uh, I'm going to get that snippet as a tape so I can have that introduce me for every time I give a speech. How about that? <laughs> That's my dream. <laughs> That's my goal, dude, is that someday, like in everybody, like in all these speakers and people we have on, like their intro video, it'll just be my intro. Her voiceover for life. <laughs> yes. Re- I know. The, uh, the, what, remember back when we were kids, the guy, uh, when he started VHS tapes, yeah. the guy who uh, talked during the previews of that, that I mean, he had an epic voice man yeah <laughs> i right. love the concept of voiceover for life though right yeah yeah or, or we were hey brad we were talking about he should uh commentate for gymnastics or, or golf <laughs> yes 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 100 <laughs> all right i got a question since we're going down uh voiceover life what would be your theme song for life Theme song for life, uh, you know, I guess you got to go with Eye of the Tiger, right? I, it just feels like it's nice. Nice. Well done, bud. <laughs> Brad, you've just now become our favorite guest, or at least I, mine. I, I teach at the Naval Academy now, and it's, it's sad. I'm not an old guy, right? I'm 33, but I've dropped a couple 80s references already, and the kids look at me like, what's that? You know, I was really proud that three mm. out of five of my kids the other day had seen Karate Kid because I was making a Karate Kid reference. Oh, oh hey, hey we're, we're old. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm that has been brought to my attention in the last year and some change. <laughs> well, hell, our Medal of Honor winner this morning t- said you were old now, too. He didn't say that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's my said goal now to bring as many 80 re- 80s references into the classroom as possible. It may, may make it mandatory to watch Top Gun. Kids haven't seen Top Gun. I watched Top Gun on VHS on repeat when I was religiously or old. Religiously, yeah. <laughs> That had more to do with me joining the Navy than I like to admit. <laughs> <laughs> it did, though, right? It did, though. Hey, Charlie Plum, that's all he talked about, right? Top Gun. It was Top Gun, yeah. Tom Top Cruise. Gun, yeah. As a matter of fact, if he could come back, he'd come back as Tom Cruise. That's Tom right. Gun. Well, that, well, don't get too fast into the minute yet, bro. Let me slow down. I kind of I got sucked in right there. But, Brad, before we start this, before we get going on the these epic rabbit holes that we are going to, what we were typical on, because that's just what we do, we we're going to do something. That because we've got to get you limbered up. All right. You're you're an Olympic swimmer, you're gold medalist, you're a an elite athlete in the world. So you understand the power, the power of getting warmed up. So we are gonna do some neurological sprints right now, dude. And we're gonna we're gonna soften up. Well, mine's pretty soft already. My, my, we're going to get that gray matter loosened up and ready to go with something that we call the mad minute. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Okay, Marcus, fire away. Hi, brother. How far are the Go Navy beat Army bleachers from each other? That's a uh, 30 meters. Trippy question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I knew he'd know it. 
Dude. That's a thing. That is, a, apparently. <laughs> is there an app for that? What's that? Is this an interview for Google? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? Totally. Totally an interview oh, hey, for Google. For, you have no idea. We, <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to give you three words, and I need to use. I need you to use them in a sentence. Ready? Donkey, marriage counseling, and Burt Reynolds. Awesome. Burt Burt Reynolds went to marriage counseling for call, calling his wife a donkey. Uh, it's safe one. Very nice. Very safe. Very yeah. very well done. Very <laughs> good. Bad. I like that. I was, I, I was riding quick. the donkey to my marriage counseling, where Burt Reynolds <laughs> is my counselor. Because you're you're from Texas. I am from Texas. Yeah. yeah I yeah. went through so much marriage counseling that the donkey that I was riding on started to talk to me like Burt Reynolds. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. I like that one. I guess I'm the only twisted one because my where my head's at right is You're nowhere near head. Next question then. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, next question. All right, here you go. If you could travel back to any decade in history and hang out with a particular person or group, who would that be and when? Alexander Hamilton, hands down. I saw that play last year, and it was it blew my mind. Uh, that guy sounds like an incredible guy, and it would have been amazing to see. You know, we that that doc the documents between the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution have guided our country for the last two hundred years, uh, and those guys were incredibly smart and set up a you know a great system. So to so to be a fly on the wall as they're wrapping back and forth as to how they're going to do that would just would have been absolutely amazing. That could be the most intelligent mm. answer we've gotten yet. Mm. I knew I'd love this guy. Who shot him? <laughs> He's lifting the... Who shot him? Aaron Burr. Yep. Come on, dude. Everybody knows that, don't do they? they? I learned yeah. it on that peanut butter commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that peanut butter commercial? The guy on the radio, <laughs> he was listening to the radio, and they're like, who shot for a million dollars, Alexander Hamilton, and he called in and got on, but he couldn't talk because the peanut butter peanut was butter so thick. Mouth. <laughs> it, was for, it was an advertisement for thick peanut. Never mind. I, I want to know how you got tickets to see that show, though. That's what I want to know. I was in New York last year, and they wanted three thousand dollars to go see it. I, you know, my I, my a couple, my brother and some friends up there pulled some strings and uh, made some magic happen. I got to see it with the original cast too, and it oh my uh, god, it, it was so worth it. Coolest thing I've seen. I, I'm not oh. a, I, and I don't know that I've ever had an appreciation for Broadway and musicals and whatnot. And I was just on the seat of my uh, the edge of my seat for three hours during that play. It's incredibly hmm. creative. It's incredibly smart and uh, true to the history for for that most part, and really does a good job of providing the perspective of how that all came together uh through the through the uh the war for independence and then in the in the aftermath as well so it's 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 fabulous that's cool oh. i highly recommend it if anybody I mean, wants if you to like watching cultural. movies you'll you, you'll like broadway and going to plays they're that good i go melanie absolutely. i go up there all the time absolutely yep all all right, right. Brother, if you could swim against anybody in history who would it be oh good question oh man if i could swim against anyone in history well, I I go with, you know, Phelps, right? He's the goat of all. He's the greatest of all time. You know, it, uh, hmm. if you want to be the, I think you got to train and you got to, uh, you got to swim as though you want to be the best, right? So I know he'd hmm. kick my ass right now, but I'm gonna keep trying. I'll keep trying to the day I die. If I, I'll keep trying to improve, and if I beat him one day, great. If I don't, then whatever. But he's the best, not so I'll I'll swim against him. Man, I was thinking like Genghis Khan. I want to swim against Genghis Khan. Mm, yeah. I doubt. I doubt that guy would swim. If he's as fat as he is in that show, he would not do well. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would. I would win. I would crush him, and I'd feel so good that I built yeah. beat one of the most horrific human beings in history. I crushed yes. him. 
Hey, yes. uh, on Shark Week, they had Phelps and they had him compared to all the uh, it was Spitz and, and a couple of the other yeah. guys in the links when he broke that world record. Right. He was going to swim against that shark. And yep. man, it's like Secretariat in that pool. He's he's yeah. the goat. Links uh, away. He's the goat, man. Links. He's the goat. That's a good question. Yeah. All right, Wizard, fire away. All right. If aliens exist, do they more closely resemble Alien from Aliens movie series, Avatar? Or Mars Attacks. Oh, that's Mars a good attacks. one. <laughs> that's the best, right? I hope they look like I Mars. I want to believe that the universe is a little bit more comic than uh, Avatar. Yeah, I certainly hope that first contact is with a, a race that we can speak to, you know, and have some sort of meaningful exchange, exchange instead oh, of just boy. getting like, exterminated by a superior race. <laughs> oh, totally. boy, it's going right. to be tough. Totally. Yeah. And I want them to like, I want the first contact to be with like someone from Texas too. You know, yes. some, some back range. We all want that. <laughs> we all want that. <laughs> the first intergalactic oh. diplomat. Oh, it's from Texas. Sorry, Send buddy. me, I'll do it. I had to do it. With, I'll, I'll do it. All right. All right. Short list, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Here Send you me, go. I'll do it. Here you go. What is one of the best things that you have on your bucket list? Best things on my bucket list. Well, so uh, this kind of ties into Never Quit Story. So I have a great group of friends. And so uh, pretty much immediately after finding out I was blind in the hospital, instead of any of them diving into a pity or whatever, they were instantly uh, pulling up YouTube videos of what's the coolest thing that we could do blind. And unfortunately, uh, some uh, Eric, uh, there's already a guy who's gone to the top of Everest, Everest, yeah. so on and so forth. So we're like skydiving. We're gonna do that. Yeah. So there's two dudes. There's two mm. dudes who uh, uh, did a, a two man blind group of skydiving. I want to try to find those guys and see if we can do a three. Um, I thought that would be cool. So uh, I want to skydive. I don't mm. want a tandem. I want to go out on my own and I want to land on my own. And I. I definitely think it's possible. It's just going to be one of those, like, let's build a team around us and let's do it, but, like, let's do it safely. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good thing, just to do it safely. Yeah, no, I love that idea. Yeah, we man. know plenty That's of genius. jumpers. We can get that done. Oh, dude. Yeah, yeah, man, let's I do... think if we, uh, some of those guys who are real good fly with me a little bit, then, uh, you know, when you're, at, when you're at jump school, they call your landing anyway, so maybe someone out on a boat, let's do a water jump, have someone on a boat, call oh, there you go. Yeah, player, water jump. just smack into the water and, and call it a day. That's genius, from man. Space. Let's do, cool. redo the Red Bull from jump. Space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get uh, call up Andy Stump. See if he'll Get do Stump, that. Man, we'll break that one. Me. Well, he I, we had him on the show recently, man, and he's still trying to push the envelope. Like he was leaving us to go out to some place where they've never base jumped to go do wingsuit right. base jump and stuff, and we're looking at us, him shaking your, our heads, going, "What are you doing, dude?" That's. If you've watched, the, I'm sure you've watched those videos. I saw them before I uh, lost my vision. Those guys flying, like when you see them fly by rock outcroppings, mm -hmm. you see how fast they're moving forward. Oh, man. Just contouring the ground. That's yeah, got to be so exactly. intense, That's though. crazy. Well, one, of, didn't they, one of the guys in the wingsuits landed it, right? He came down, and it was on, on the big it was snow slope, right? And he, yeah. he landed it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that would be awesome. so much fun. All right. Your question, bud. All right, brother. Biggest pet peeve? Uh, just lateness, people being late. Uh, I think you see it all the time now these days, and it's just disrespectful. People not taking a uh, disrespect in other people's time. I think I'm big mm -hmm. on respect and just show up on time, and that's 
a good first step. And I want Mm -hmm. our listeners to know, by the way, that Brad called us eight minutes early (laughs) to come on, and we were all fumbling around. I should say I was fumbling. Wizard is always ready. Marcus was still mowing the grass, and then I was I was behind schedule. But no, and it was much appreciated. Much appreciated. Well, I think we're good. Just about fifteen minutes on the med minute. I think we're good. You don't. I want one more. Okay, I got one I more. Want, All right, on, right. I'm waiting Here we for go. It. No, I, I will gladly ask this question. Yeah. One person you admire above all others for their physical ability and one that you admire for their mental ability. So two people here. Love that question. Oh, man. Um, I'll go with the, for physical, we'll go with Bruce Lee. So, like, I'm I, real fascinated with this idea. Very I'm cool. a little guy, so I want to find as, as, as uh, many ways as possible to generate as much power as possible while still being little. And Bruce Lee mm-hmm. was like rail thin, but he could still mm-hmm. do some really incredible things. So I'll say physicality, Bruce Lee. Uh, mm-hmm. And then mentally, we'll go with, uh, let's go with Einstein, man. Like I was talking in this co- conversation with somebody this morning about how, uh, you know, uh, things like, we were talking about this like parallel realities, right? Like this movie, uh, Sliding Doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, and, like, very how cool. You've, have you seen that movie? Yep. Yep. So it's like the, the premise is, you know, uh, she goes up to a train and the door closes. And in one reality, she gets on the train and one reality, she doesn't. So the, the movie shows both both realities unfold. I read this book a long time ago that basically said, like, all realities that are possibly exist exist coincident to each other. Mm. And it's just like it'll blow your mind to start thinking about time like in, in, a, in a sphere as opposed to a timeline. And I don't mm. I'm, I'm not smart enough to think about it that way. But guys like Einstein were able to visualize things like time in a way that we don't see it that way. And that's why he was able to figure out all the relativity and shit that he was able to figure out. I, I'm blo- always, I, I try to read that stuff to push my brain, but I, you know, at some point I'm just kind of like, Oh, I don't get this, but good for you for mm-hmm. explaining it. You know well, what I mean? I, 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 I got to let you know, Brad, that it's Einstein and Luttrell over here because we we get oh, off no. the air and all of a sudden he starts talking about oh. yeah. al- alternate universes, space time. Conti- what was the what was the one dust the dust one? Stardust. Stardust. Well. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got to go down those rabbit holes every once in a while because it just you know it it just puts into perspective you know how little how little our stuff matters. You know what I mean? Like we get all fired up about all the stuff that's going on in the news or in your personal life or sitting in traffic, you got to realize we're just like a speck of dust in the grand scheme. Absolutely. All right. That's pretty epic. Marcus, <laughs> last, okay. last okay. Yeah, I'll talk no, 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 that long. was epic. Like, I, I can't say anything <laughs> after that. that. That shut me down, and I pretty much can talk after anything, that, but that was epic. All right, Marcus, last question. Go, bud. All right, did Oswald act alone? No, I don't think so. I believe there was something bigger going on there. Maybe it's because I grew up watching those movies, but it seems like something else was was at play there. I like it. Everybody's on that. Well, Everybody says that. Hey, right? get, get, give him the last question then. Give him one more. You're the, we we got to know. Favorite superhero? Uh, Daredevil, obviously, I think. You know, you got to go with, uh, I want to expand my blind superpowers, and he's a good ex- example to follow. That's awesome. That's what? Yeah. I mean, who was it before? Who was it before? Uh, I, I kind of like invented my own superpower. I don't know if you guys remember this, this dumb show called Sequest. Yeah. Of course, man. I could breathe underwater. I was oh, like, yeah. I always wanted that to be my superpower. Oh, I used to right. Me too, man. Imagine that. Imagine <laughs> yeah. how much you wouldn't have had Daredevil to be on bag awesome, like that. man. And the, uh, the Daredevil series, it's out. They actually do a pretty good job of it. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, I actually. like it. I, and 
Netflix has all this descriptive audio stuff for blind folks, and it's awesome to watch. That is hmm. so cool, man. So cool. I remember our- the, the first time I got to go, I went to dive school after my freshman year at the academy, and I went down there. And, you know, they, they, they kind of tough talk that course, and they make you feel like you're in a you know, Navy school and you got to act a certain way. But I remember the first time that I got on scuba and just went and sat at the bottom of the pool and could breathe underwater, I was just blown away. I was having so much fun. And you come up and they're yelling at you or whatever, but I would just go back underwater and just be so happy that I was breathing my scuba rig underneath the water. Oh, man, I was hooked. Same thing. As soon as you, yeah. soon as you can go underwater and you take that first breath, you're like, whoa, this yeah, is wow. going to be nice. Because no one can yell at you underwater. I hated it, yeah. dude. Be- <laughs> I hated it because like 15 minutes later, they took my regulator and made me buddy breathe. I'd just been on bag for 15 minutes, and now I got a buddy breathe? You never tried it yeah, before exactly. the teams? No, I didn't. I oh. grew up in South Florida, too, man. It's crazy. Well, how's that possible? I don't know. I never got certified, dude. So I was like, you oh. You dive now? Uh, I just started diving a little bit good. after a long hiatus. <laughs> good. Good, good, good. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it now, for sure. All right. That's that- the best dive in the world. Down there in Florida. It's pretty awesome. Uh, I've heard uh, a couple places. Palau. Uh, no, that's the best one. Yeah, Palau is pretty amazing. Uh, Belize, second biggest Belize. barrier reef. It's pretty good. Yeah, Belize. Belize. And then there's a couple spots on a barrier reef that are supposed to be just unbelievable. That's good diving, too. I've, done, I've, I've been there. Uh, that The Palau one, because of all the well, the reefs and the islands, but... I, I got We went over there, and there was three UDT guys that were captured, tortured, burned, and buried over there. And there's an organization called Bent Prop, fantastic organization, man. Just a real, yeah. real fast, and uh, they go and recover, find, recover our missing boys and girls. That's cool. And uh, the three frogmen they found over on this island. I, I got a chance to go, and I took a 93 year old Marine who went across the beach that day That's to take it awesome. over. Yeah, RV Bergen, man. Uh, he wrote the book Island of the Dam, the and the uh, show on uh, in the Pacific. Yep. he was. Uh-huh. They did a yeah, yeah, yeah. thing on him, man. RV, man, I love you. That guy's hard. We Whoa. gotta get him yeah, on, right. dude. Anyways, <laughs> uh, started talking about RV. I forgot what I was doing. Oh yeah, the diving. So the we literally got a chance to dive on one of those P fifty one Mustangs. Still had the wooden antenna. And look, this whoever dumped that, whoever whatever pilot landed that in there, because. The the cannons and the guns. I mean, the samurai sword. It's all still there. It's all. I mean, you can literally oh, the right, the guy was taking us around. He pulled over on the side of the road. We walk over this hill. It'd be a thirty millimeter cannon, and then we were standing in the uh, on the flanks of the beach that RV came up in, and they had the there was a tank tread that had been blown off, right. and they had the they had those big uh, forget what, what kind of size can those dual cannons, yep, in a crossfire. And I mean, the, this, the planes would come over the island, and, and this guy, man, I don't know how he did it, but the only thing that was bent on that whole plane was the front, was one of the, one of the propellers. Really? Yeah. And it was and, underwater that yeah, way? Oh, yeah, it was underwater. You could see it from the Whoa, side. They're yeah. all inside the reef. It's, it's a crazy reef, it's, and it's huge around these islands. And then when you get to the outer reef right there, it's literally down. Like it falls and, I mean, all the wildlife <laughs> hangs out in there, and those Apparently, the pilots, if they got dumped inside the reef, they'd haul butt to get outside the reef to get picked up. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, or go to one of the islands because there's hundreds of them down there. Yeah. And, uh, and there's Can a you second... imagine surviving something like that? No. Yeah, oh, my God. No, I think about Louis Zamparelli, right? That's yeah. the one I think about. His unbroken story, man, which in my mind is one of the most hardcore stories that exists in any anywhere at any time. So... All right, well, let's let's pivot now because we're talking about great stories, great never-quit stories, Brad. And, 
And our listeners come to this show because they know one, they're gonna they're gonna have some fun, they're gonna laugh, they're gonna be entertained, but most importantly, they're gonna come here for some incredible value. So to hear some stories from amazing people that are are down to earth and they tell it like it is, they're gonna speak the truth on how they overcame great challenges, great adversity with a smile on their face, man. And and so if you could, without further ado, Brad, would you please share with our listeners your greatest never quit story or stories? Absolutely. I'd be glad to, and I'll keep it to one and then we'll see where it goes from there. But it's it's very much in the vein of what we're talking about from uh, listening to uh, Charlie Plum talk or Louis Zamperini's book, or, or well, I mean, his life. It was a life first before it was a book and right. all these other stories. And then uh, hit even home with, the guys that we've served with and then unfortunately lost along the way. Uh, it provides us a certain level of wisdom, maturity, experience, and most of all, perspective. Uh, <clears throat> so going to the story, I, I was deployed uh, in, in, uh, in 2011 with Team 10 in Afghanistan down in Kandahar, and our job was to work with the Afghan commandos. Our job was to train them up and give them the equipment they need, they, the training they need, and then take them out on operations in that area, uh, go into different target villages, hoping to find uh, Taliban fighters, Taliban weapons, Taliban intelligence, with the idea of twofold. One, mitigating their ability to operate in the area, and then two, uh, training up the Afghans to hopefully be able to do that same exact mission eventually uh, for themselves. So uh, kind of typical mission profile that we've all seen. We would take two Chinooks in the middle of the night. We'd patrol <laughs> in. We'd raid these villages. Uh, they didn't really like us using the word raid back then. But no, no, right? What, it was a <laughs> night mission or something? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, Intel-driven we raid. Like, we're, you know, was, the strategy was kind of good cop, bad cop back then, right? You'd have all these guys out at the village stability stations and working to build the relationships, but they would tell us where they thought there was stuff. And then we would kind of come in as the, the bad cop, kind of rough it up a little bit. And, uh, I, and with, with, with the overall intent of really kind of mitigating the Taliban's operations, right? We don't want to screw up the, vil- the villages there too much uh, unless we knew that they were bad or right. whatever. That's a whole nother discussion. But yep. anyway, we'd, <laughs> we'd go in in the middle of the night, we'd get there and uh, we'd kind of go through the village for the first half of the deployment, we really didn't find much. And then we kind of dialed in on a particular area that seemed pretty nasty. Uh, but the the main kind of w- what made that uh, time period unique was that we had done a good enough job by 2011 of pushing them back in terms of fighting force. So it was a lot different than when Marcus was there. Like they weren't really engaging us one on one. They were they were doing this all this IED stuff. So that's where I came in. I was a an EOD officer. Me and my partner. Another EOD tech uh, within embedded in that platoon was our, our whole mission was to help uh, the assault team uh, ideally avoid any contact with IEDs, but in the case that we came in contact with one, either mitigated or, or, or circumvent. So um, the IED threat was so high at that particular point, we made the decision that uh, we couldn't freely patrol in the area. Either myself or my partner would clear out in front with a metal detector uh, because there were just so many and they were... There was real no rhyme and reason about how they were. I mean, originally wow. we were kind of saying, you know, avoid choke points and you'll be all right. But then we started seeing them in fields, on rooftops, all kinds of stuff. So we just decided uh, one of us has got to be out front. Um, and then obviously I'd got a team guy on my, on, right on my shoulder. So if something pops out, you know, he's able to address that. 
Uh, and that's how we moved all over all over Afghanistan that way. Wow. So on the morning of September 7th, 2011, we were on one of those missions. We cleared in uh, to a village. Uh, there was nothing there. It was obviously that the hair on the back of your neck stands up where you're like, this is something's wrong about the situation. There's no villagers, no animals. Why? Why is nobody here? Uh, we were, uh, as everyone's seen, we've got their walkie talkies so we can hear them chattering. We know they're in the area. They're you know, supposedly looking to get a dozen of them or so together to come attack us and whatever. So we started moving to where we thought they were. Uh, at about 7.30 in the morning after the sun had come up, uh, I was in, halfway back in our foot patrol, and I saw a big blast plume go up in the air, and I thought, I thought my buddy Adam had stepped on, uh, wow. stepped on an IED. And so, uh, and, you know, this would kind of like the tactic in that situation. Don't run up there right away. You've got a little bit of time wait for something to come over the radio, get a good, uh, you know, essay on what's going on. Didn't hear anything over the radio. And I thought, man, uh, so I, I, I looked back at my boss and said, I got to help with the medevac. I ran up there. I was real happy to see Adam and three of the seals had jumped over this ravine and were kind of fine. Uh, but over to my left, there were two Afghans, uh, laying in a, a crater about a meter and a half wide. Oh my. What we figured out had happened was Adam had cleared a path to go over this choke through this choke point over a, a ravine and to the left, uh, the Afghan, the first Afghan in the patrol did not follow that path, kind of picked an easier roundabout over this ravine. And surely, you know, I, I say this in my speech all the time, the path of least resistance is almost always booby-trapped in that environment. Right. And sure enough, mm. there was a 40-pound IED buried in that footpath. So the mm. first Afghan was flung forward about 15 feet, uh, unconscious and real messed up. The guy standing behind him also hit by the same blast was real messed up. So we have two casualties we're working through. Uh, we were able to kind of divide and conquer. It took us a real long time due to terrain and trying to, you know, we do this drill and, and training all the time. It's not easy to move a no. uh, casualty. Uh, so it took us a while to get him back where we wanted him to go, uh, knowing that we don't have a lot of time to sit here on target moving this other casualty. I grabbed a litter from the back. I was running the litter uh, back up to the front where, uh, I made a call to kind of run, expedite to where the medic and the other casualty were over some grass. And I kind of figured in my head that the chance of an IED being under the grass was really low. Turns out I was wrong. I stepped on an IED that was about a meter away from the first blast site. Uh, thankfully, oh I was uh, a little bit offset from anybody else. So the blast only hit me. Um we could we could dry erase board and I could show you why the there was an offset from the pressure plate to the blast, but I'll, I'll spare you on that. But the the gist of it was I stepped on the pressure plate and there was about a foot and a half uh, distance between me and the blast, which in effect saved my life, definitely saved my limbs. The bad side was the V plume came out of the ground and smacked me right in the face. Wow. Uh, so I, I maintained what I, I anticipate consciousness through the whole time. I remember actually being awake on the ground uh, in my my. I could still see a little bit out of my left eye, and I looked down, and I saw I was laying on the ground in the fetal position, and I saw my hands, and behind it I saw my boots, and I didn't see any anything wrong, and you know it, I I've been responding to casualties throughout the deployment, and you right. know none of them looked the way I did, and I assumed that that meant that I had died. Oh, so wow. I laid there, kind of just thinking everything through, and you know weighing everything in the balance, and thinking you know what's going to happen now that I'm dead or my is it just going to fade away or is there some sort of purgatory or is there a heaven coming or to get whatever me? that's pretty heavy 
That is heavy. Yeah, sorry. Hmm. It gets better, guys. Don't care. We're in the, we're in the low point of the story. We're going to get back up to <laughs> no, the high point. No, no, bro. No, no. You take your time. We're loving it right now. And our listeners are riveted just as we are. I, I, I don't like to dwell on the heavy, but you got to go to the heavy before you can get to the light. That's what I always say. Amen. Nerd. So, you know, I, 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 I was convinced. And, and I, I remember this distinct thought that my grandpa, who died when I was 11, my grandpa was going to come and take me on to whatever happens after you die. And, and in fact, I, I kind of, we were talking a little deep earlier. I was actually kind of excited in a way to figure out, you know, we always wonder and we always believe all these right. different things, but nobody, nobody really knows what happens after you die because, well, they died, you know? So I was excited, like, <laughs> let me get to figure out. Um, <laughs> but it, it kind of time caught back up with me and I realized that my teammates were calling to me and I realized I wasn't dead. Uh, and, uh, you know, in a, in a post-blast environment, there's all that dust in the air. They couldn't find me. They knew that I had gotten hit, but they were looking for me. I, I yelled back out to them, and all of a sudden, I kind of started to panic. Like, a, a moment ago, I was okay with being dead, and now I'm afraid to be alive because I didn't know, How like, bad? what happened. Like, mm. obviously, I took a blast to the face. Like, uh, I, I have this weird kind of feeling. Am, am I paralyzed? Do I have a traumatic brain injury? Uh, am I like, am I eventually going to be disfigured? Is my face going to look real messed up or all of this, all these thoughts started to hit me all at once. And I started to panic. I like all that uncertainty hit me real hard. And I remember grabbing my, my buddy, Adam, when he got to me and I was like, how bad is it? And he was like, I'm not going to lie to you, man. Your, your face is pretty effed up, but the rest of you looks fine. <laughs> and the way he said it, like, so nonchalantly, I was like, all right. And I, I remember I had this realization like, okay, I'm alive. Uh, I'm going to be alive. And right now, and you know, we brief this in the mission briefing every time. Don't rush into a bad situation because the worst thing you can do is become a casualty yourself. Right. All right. They're I've just done death. that. And now I'm screwing over my team. I need to get the hell out of here so that they can go back to the mission. Right. And so obviously they don't have two techs now, but I, I need, you know, they're, they're, they're hamstrung with me. I need to get up. I need to get out. So uh, Adam was like, do you think you can stand up? And I said, yeah. And so they, uh, Adam and the medic stood me up. They walked me back over that ravine to where we brought the helicopter down. Um, and then I, I remember, remember getting on the helicopter, and then uh, they took me to Kandahar. And because I had taken a bunch of, you know, frag and shrapnel in my neck and stuff, they, they make the delineation to intubate you, so they, and they don't do that when you're awake. So they put, gave me a little sleepy shot. I didn't wake up for 60 hours. All of the 60 hours were surgery in Kandahar, a flight from Kandahar to Longstool, maybe through Bagram. I don't know the details. I haven't really gotten a full, you know, on i don't know what exactly happened but i was gone or out for 60 hours and then from longstool definitely front to walter reed when i woke up in walter reed i was on lots of drugs and it made it really hard to figure out what was going on wow. and so six days later when they actually the doctors are in the room telling me that uh they were going to do everything they could to save my vision i didn't understand what they were saying because i had been hallucinating so bad in my mind that i didn't realize that i was blind for a week wow uh, so on the sixth day, the surgeons were saying they're going to do this surgery. They were going to try to save my vision. I remember asking the surgeon, what do you mean? What does that mean? And he said, uh, Lieutenant Snyder, you have a less than 1% chance of being able to perceive light and dark with your right eye. We're going to remove your left eye so you'll see nothing on your left side. Wait, I'm sorry. So realized, Did you, you said that, that you were able to see immediately after the blast away. You're still there on the ground. Is that correct? Yes. Or was that some kind of hallucination as well? Well, you, you, it's a really hard question to answer. I, I don't believe so because I have that, like, I have this vivid image in my mind, but it, it's 
very possible that I had imagined that. But the the dynamic of the blast on my left side is what they call an open orbit injury. Uh, the the globe of my eye was only it, it was fine effectively, but a piece of frag had gone inside the eye. And your eye, mm-hmm. you Marcus you probably know this, but the the eye is like is is locked off. Dave, were you a medic? Yeah. I was 18 Delta yeah, too. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. So you guys, so the eye is, is locked off. Like if you get a, a, a influenza in your body, it doesn't go into your eye. There's like a, a, a barrier. I forget what they call it. Uh, hermetically sealed or whatever. Um, so hmm. if there's ever something that goes into your eye, it's really bad. And my, I think my eye eventually got infected, but immediately afterward, it's like, you know, when you had a run flat tire, like uh, you can mm. you, you can go over something and the tire doesn't immediately deflate. That's right. kind of what my eye was. And eventually that went away and then they had to pull that eye out altogether. So the the right eye was destroyed pretty much right off the bat. And this that the way I tell the story is kind of misleading because they thought in the, the hospital that they were going to – they had done a sonogram of the bottom part of my eye. This is way more detail than I normally give. But right. they had done a sonogram of the bottom part of my eye and they thought they found my retina. And your retina is just a little like disc kind of like – it's yep. very it's a little fragile disc and they were going to try to unfold the retina and put it back on the back of my eye and hopefully get some light perception back they did not tell me at that time that that has never been done successfully before wow so that one percent was a really 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 small one percent and it, it, <laughs> yeah. didn't, it, it did not end up manifesting that way i i ended up with no vision and uh if anybody can see the video these are actually prosthetic eyes so i end up with prosthetic eyes but I'll tell you what, like uh, hindsight being what it is, I'm kind of glad that it's just like the lights went out and we go back to that conversation of, you know, control what you can control and, and let go what you can't. I think it's better that I don't have like some kind of misleading shadows or whatever. The lights are out. So I use my ears. I use my hands. I use my nose. That's all I got. Right. So I, I'm wasting a lot of time trying to figure out what are the lights and shadows. It's just it's dark. There's no vision. You're moving on. Hmm. So, you know. Obviously, laying in the hospital like that is you're like, wow, I mean, when you're hearing news like that, it, it hits you pretty hard. And you start thinking about all sorts of different things. And you can go down one of two paths. You can think about all the things that you'll never be able to do. Obviously, they're not going to let me near a bomb with clippers in my hands if I can't see what color <laughs> which wire is. Right. So like, that's, that's off the table. Um, you know, I'm flying a plane or, you know, seeing the beach or seeing the mountains or any of those things. It's all off the table. Uh, but you realize pretty quickly that, you know, that's fruitless. It's not going to get you anywhere. Go, goes back to that control what you can control and let go what you can't. I don't have my vision. It's, it's not mm. coming back. Uh, I knew full well what the potential consequences of doing that, going on into that mission set, uh, doing that job, and uh, going kind of bringing it back to what we were talking about before I started telling the story is this perspective piece. Um, we all have something that's hit us hard we've lost friends Amen. And we've uh it, it it doesn't you know i i tell this story about like when i when i wanted to go eod out of the academy you know we all see these posters you see the poster online uh, yeah of uh, a guy diffusing a mine or scuba diving or jumping or shooting or demo all the cool fun stuff all the quals that we get extra money for it's 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 cool guy stuff right like man that looks like so much fun i'm gonna be an old real badass i'm gonna get to go you know fight the war on terror it seems really grandiose at first yes until you lose a friend and then all of a sudden everything changed and for me that happened in 2009 when my buddy tyler trahan was killed and tyler trahan was killed serving team 10 he's up on that piece of granite right outside the the building there and 
Um, he was a, one of my best friends, went through EOD school together. Just, you know, for some reason, they only take the best of us, right? And that's that was Tyler for sure. Mm-hmm. And my mindset on everything changed. But I, I could go down that rabbit hole, but I'll tell you what Tyler helped me with was sitting in that hospital room learning that I'm blind, I think the world, my mom, my family, the, everybody expected me to be really beat up over the blindness. But I, I kept thinking about Tyler and I was like, you know what? Like how selfish of me would it be to victimize myself over the loss of my vision when Tyler and others didn't get to come back at all? You know wow. what I mean? Like hmm. I'm really lucky to be alive. Like if that bomb had been 12 inches further closer to me, I probably would have been dead, you know? So, and in fact, I thought that I had been dead. I laid there and <laughs> kind of accepted it and thought like, okay, well, cool. Like, all right, I'm dead now. And I'm back now. I, I've got bonus levels. It's dark now, but I can still continue to do all sorts of different things. You know, there's, you know, I don't, I don't know what blindness looks like. I don't know what blind people do or how they do what they do, but I'm certain that they do something, you know, and I'll figure that out. And that's what we started working towards. Wow. Now, um, I think I, I say that and I, I, you know, like you guys, I, I go out and I give these speeches and I think people look at that like, oh yeah, wow, it's great that you were able to do that. I don't know that I'd be able to do that or they, they kind of throw that mentality up there as like a, hmm, well, I'm glad you were able to do that. But, um, and I don't think people like believe it, right? It's like, maybe it's like that motivational speech kind of crap. Like maybe I really was down in the dumps I, and nobody believed me, I don't think. And I remember being in the hospital and so many people mm. coming to visit me and saying, oh man, we're like so sorry about this happening. And they were like all beat up and they would cry and they would hug me and they would cry and they would hug me and they would tell me how sad they were. And it, I kept telling everyone, I'm going to be fine guys. Like, don't worry about me. I'm, I'm fine. And you know, lots of, lots of blind people go on to do great things and blah, blah, blah. blah. And, uh, I realized that in that environment, you know, people see kind of what they're expecting to see and I needed to show them something different. So thankfully right around that time, my old swim coach came and instead of doing the whole pity thing he basically just said like it was kind of like the, the mission goes on right like we have practice on saturday you want to come and i said yeah absolutely so it's kind of hmm. like you know if, when you want to pick up the pieces and rebuild you start at the basics and i think my understanding of all of the things that we hold dear in the military from you know perseverance honor dedication courage all those things believe it or not they come from athletics when you're a kid cool you know and dedicating yourself to something uh, wholeheartedly came from swimming. So I was like, all right, we'll start there. What I found when I swam was it was the first thing that I didn't suck at blind, which was really nice. It was a gratifying (laughs) feeling. (laughs) And, uh, it was the first place that I went that people didn't look at me like, Oh, like the struggling veteran or, Oh, it sucks that you're blind. They see me swim. And and when you see me swim, I'm, I'm sure that you can't tell that I'm blind, or at least that's how I try to make it look right. You should see me swimming back and forth. Not only am I doing it, but I'm doing it well. Um, and that, that was the first time that I was able to kind of latch onto that image. My mom was able to latch onto that image. My family was able to latch onto that image. And I think it was the first time that everyone really believed what I was trying to say. Everything's going to be fine. Wow. Now, it kind of took a life of its own. Someone on that pool deck that day was, ran over and said, have you ever heard of the, heard of the Paralympics? And all of us kind of squinted and said, like the Special Olympics? And he said, no, uh, Paralympics is the... It's this event that's held in conjunction with the Olympics every year. They hold it in the same venues. You know, once the Olympics wrap up, uh, they spend two weeks adding wheelchair ramps to all the venues. And then there's the Paralympics. And it's got different adaptive sports for those with physical disabilities, blindness, uh, spinal cord injuries, amputations, so on and so forth. And then they added, like, 
do you realize how lucky you are to be injured in an Olympic Paralympic year? And we were like, oh, I guess we hadn't looked at it that way, but I love your optimism. So let's, you know, let's look this up and do it. Well, that's something that's really um, amazing about this. If, if, um, unless we have the dates wrong here, September of 2011 was the incident, the explosion, and you were swimming in the Paralympic Games in June of 2012. Is that correct? Yep. And I, can I want to just add one more thing, if I may, too, Brad? And I don't. I hope I think you you're fine with this stuff. But just right, four months before that, your dad had passed away too, right? Yeah. So his yeah. dad, he yeah. gets blown up. He's blind. And then he's going to the Olympics. That's awesome, brother. Yeah, that's Thank an amazing you. timeline. Yeah, that the year. So that's a, a, another major component of the story that I, I don't normally get to tell because it's a long story. But uh, another reason that the blindness thing was relatively straightforward for me to adapt to was the two years leading up to my Afghanistan deployment were not a good two years for me. Uh, beginning in 2009, Tyler was killed, and I don't know that I, I brought that on board. In, a, in, the, in the healthiest of ways, uh, it was the, my first time through that loop, and I, I you know, I kind of buried myself in work and kind of hoped it would go away, and I, I don't know that it necessarily did. Uh, then later, uh, about a year later, an ex-girlfriend of mine committed suicide. Also hit me real hard. I didn't really know that I, I took care of that all that well. Kind of fell. I wouldn't say I. I, I got into some bad habits, some bad drinking habits, and we all know that the the communities don't. We have a we have a tendency to kind of overdo it sometimes, and I definitely did. I wrecked my truck after getting blitz one night and ended up in jail. That wasn't good, and that almost ended my career. Wow. Then finally limped on to Afghanistan, like just barely mm. made it on that deployment in the wake of the DUI, and then about halfway through the deployment found out that my dad had died. And I remember kind of mm. being out there doing that mission really kind of disconnected from yep. – talk about that sliding doors thing. Like you, There's a way I think we all think that life's going to work out. And when it works out so far away from what you thought was going to happen, you feel very strange. I mean, in some ways, alone. I, I really, rec I really liked that job. I was really glad I got to keep doing that job. But by the time that I was blinded, it was almost like a relief valve. Like this is like a restart button. Like going all the way to the point of death and then coming back. For me, I just knew that things were going to start getting better because, for sure, they couldn't get any worse. Wow. Uh, you know, you go all the way to death after all those things. Mm. And to come back from that, uh, you know, I knew it had to get better, and and it did. And and you're, you guys are right; like it happened so fast. When they originally, when they originally brought up the idea of Paralympics, I kind of said no. I was like, no, I need to figure out like how to get on the computer and and get an MBA like all my peers, so I could go into the business world, and make a bunch of money, and blah 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 blah. <laughs> but they made this deal where they're like, all right, uh, we'll sneak you out of the hospital three days a week if you'll agree to pursue. Paralympic kind of adaptive sports. And I was like, yes, because anybody who spent any amount of time in the VA knows that the food sucks. So I was like, yeah, if you sneak me out, I'll swing by like Papa John's or something, get a pizza and like call it, bring it back to the hospital or whatever. And that's really how it started. It started before I left the hospital. I actually swam my first meet while I was still an inpatient in an Augusta VA. They actually flew me from Augusta to Colorado Springs. So the, the, the timeline was very aggressive. And it was very aggressive because of what that guy said. It's like, you know, there's deadlines, right? You have to have certain, you know, qualifications. You have to have you have to have like a Paralympic sanctified doctor shine a flashlight into my fake eyes and be like, "Yep, this dude is definitely blind." <laughs> 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 and so, oh. uh, you know, I had to do all that stuff, and then it all it lined up real quick. And 
I, that first race, I swam a race and I get out of the pool and everyone's like, oh my God, dude, that was so amazing. Like you're ranked fifth in the world as blind swimmers go. And I was like, no, like you guys are, you know, thanks for the optimism. You guys are looking at the wrong list, but they were right. Like first shot out of the gates, I was fifth in the world. Uh, the next time I raced, I was first in the world. Uh, I was ranked number one uh, going into the wow. Paralympics, and then, you know, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I, I ended up winning. So you shattered uh, it. You shattered yeah. <laughs> it. You didn't right. just win, brother. Oh my God, you shattered it, dude. Wow. It was an amazing experience. I, you know, again, it being so quick uh, to be able to turn things around that way, and, and really, what made it the most important, and the, the story I like to tell is like being up on that podium. And uh, after you win something like that, it's such a humbling experience for them to play the anthem and imagine that flag being raised because you realize mm. it's just not about you. It's, a, it's about something so much bigger than you. Those 50 stars and those 13 stripes representing that huge community that you're a part of. You know, like standing up on that podium for me was just this moment of retrospection, like to go back to the guys who... The, the, the team, the brotherhood that picked me up when I got Man. blown up, got me on that helicopter, the pilot, the crew that landed in the, that area to pick me up, the, the surgeons and the hospitals that all put me back together, my mom, my brothers, my sister, my friends, you know, everybody who rallied around me through that whole experience. Like I was just the conduit of all this amazing energy, right? It had hmm. almost nothing to do with what I as an individual did. It had everything to do with me just being the vehicle of all those people's love, you know, and to, for it to come together in such a cool way, you know, like when you're, you're in an arena, it's like 18,000 people and they're all super excited. doesn't matter what country they're from, Brazil, Sweden, UK, American, they're super excited about that. They, it's a gold medal and they're really happy about it. My mom's cool. up there and she's crying and she's yeah. with my, she's hugging my family and there's friends, you know, friends in the, who came from all over the world to go to London and watch it. And then there's people like in Afghanistan or in Virginia Beach or in wherever else watching online and you feel really connected to all those people. It's just so it's so amazing. And so like that's what makes it a magical. It's not like I accomplished anything great. It's like I represented all of those people. I took all of that incoming love and made it something cool happen out of it. And that's why like that medal is really special. And that's I carry it everywhere I go to share it with everybody. It's like they're like, I, I say, you want to wear the medal? And they're like, oh, I can't wear it. It's yours. I'm like, no, no, no. It's yours, right? Like, it's the community's medal. I just, I just, got, I got this for you. You know, it's yours now, too. <laughs> wow. Hey, Brad, I guess someone what? gets you a pair of eyes made and have two gold medals on both. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> I love it, dude. Yeah, I love it. It is, man. There's, we were talking about this earlier about the Olympics and how it just kind of, man, it does something to the country. And you got to... Boy, Afghanistan, 05, 10, and 11, we we took some heavies out there, 10 and the EOD cats. I, man, I, I was, yeah, we did. We took a lot of heavies. Yep. But, uh, man, you got to kind of look at it. And we were talking about that movie with the doors switching, you know, that when you stepped into that, into Alternate a door realities. you weren't, yeah, into a door you weren't supposed to, right? And I, I remember you saying that you could see right after that, you know, the, the body is such an amazing mechanism, especially the eyes, man. That was that. After that, that flash and that blast, that's what you were looking at. I mean, your mind reminds you it's what you're supposed to be looking at. I mean, you yep. very well could have been seeing it. You know how it works, man. Or it could have been what your eyes were telling you you were supposed to see. And, yeah. and that's, that's I don't know. I, I, I do remember definitely – I remember yelling to one of the guys I was walking with. Uh, uh, it was one of, the, one of the SEALs. I told him, hey, tell me what's on the ground. I can't see it. I remember yelling that to him. I don't remember like not seeing anything, but I remember, hey, hmm. tell me what's on the ground. I can't see it. 
And he tried for a minute and then he said, F it. And he just picked me up. Like, I, you know, I'm smaller. So he just threw me over his shoulder and carried me to the helicopter. Um, but I, I definitely, I must have lost it somehow. But I just, to your, to your point, it's kind of one of those chicken and egg things. Like, I have that vivid image in my mind, but is it just something that was freeze framed from the blast or mm-hmm. was it real? I don't know. Hmm. Now, I got a question. I want, it was also the day you won one of those gold medals, was the one year anniversary from the day you got blown up can you can you walk our listeners through that and what that experience was like to have those things co-mingling in your heart while you are literally coated with the love of america and your family i mean will you help paint that picture (laughs) for us Coated with the love of America. I love that. Um, <laughs> it's a new shirt, TNQ podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, let's let's divide it into two parts, right? So there's the before it happens and then the after it happens. And in in real life, uh, it, it kind of, it became a headline kind of thing before it actually ever happened. And I remember feeling uh, real, real nervous about it beforehand because I was like, it's one of those situations in sports where you're kind of set up for failure. Like, uh, I could swim a really, really, really great swim and get a silver medal and everyone would be disappointed because there was that story. Oh, brother, we, brother, we right. had, we, I'm sorry to interrupt. We had Missy Franklin on a, a couple of weeks ago and she said the same thing, you know, I mean, yep. the expectation of her crushing it like she did in London and, you know, and Rio was, and it, and she felt that feeling. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but man, I love that you're going down that for us. Now she's a she's a wonderful human being. I've had the opportunity to work with her a little bit. Mm-hmm. She invested herself in the Warrior Games a little while ago, and so she kind of gets gets our world a little bit as well. And man, I I it's that's what makes the uh, when you watch it on TV. I don't know that you necessarily get that feel, but the the immensity of uh, especially American swimming, because we are so good. There's just this expectation that every time an American hits the water, it's going to be a, a gold, gold medal. medal. Right. And when it's not, hmm. it's kind of like, well, what's wrong with you? It's kind of the response. You're like, well, I was the seventh fastest person in the world. That's pretty dope, right? Like, well, first. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. So, again, like, it, it's kind of written. It's out there in the atmosphere. People, I, I kind of know that people are sort of expecting it. I, the the part of the story I told you a moment ago, like all the magic of all those people there, people yeah. flying from all over the world, it's great afterward. Beforehand, you're like, man, all these people flew from all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but what I think is really cool and what uh, what I'm fascinated by now, like what I, we'll get into what I do now a little bit later, but we as operators we're given we're given the tools to work through those situations and we're given the tools to work through situations like with much higher stakes right lethal stakes right. on deployment ieds and helicopters and all that sort of stuff um it, it all goes back to those kind of stoic principles control what you can control let go of what you can't right expectations and outcomes are not things you can control uh expectation actually is you can right outcomes you can't right so you you, you prepare, you do everything mm-hmm. that you can prepare. You eat the right stuff, you train the right way, you bring the right gear, blah, 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 blah. I can't control the outcome. You know, I've done the training. And so I had to, I did this like mental, you know, back and forth. Like there's the one side of you is like, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if that happens? And the other side of you just has to say, shut the F up and just do it already. That kind of thing. And, uh, that's what we had to do. So I walked out and, uh, I, I remember a, a lot of that dialogue going on in my body beforehand 
as soon as like the the referee blows the whistle and the arena goes quiet and you know like the moment's about to happen all that went away and it was like uh it was just this cool like you just feel like almost superhuman right like Mm -hmm. you just let the adrenaline flow through you let the let the energy be a part of you just hop up there and just execute that was my rally cry in my head was like just execute just execute just execute i know the race i'm well prepared just dive in and do it and that's how it, it manifested uh, I, I I love being in that moment because it's a moment you can't replicate. It's exactly. like uh, you 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 can't have a crowd that big. You can't have a moment that big. You can't you, you just can't replicate it in training. Just like combat, like the yep. second uh, fire starts going over your head, like you can't replicate that. That's your moment. Don't screw this up. Like just make the most of that moment. And I love that moment. I love being in that water and feeling that crowd and just like it's just it's. Unreal. It's unlike anything I've ever had. So I, I really enjoyed it. I came into the wall, and this there's this funny dynamic that exists in blind sports. Imagine, you know, you're in the uh, Olympic arena that you see on TV, and uh, Phelps comes in, and what happens when he finishes? Or Missy, which what she comes in and finishes, she looks up at the result the on a big jumbotron, right? She knows yeah. exactly what happens, and then she, you know, celebrates or splashes the water, whatever. Well, we can't see the jumbotron, the blind athletes, and the crowd's yelling so loud you can't hear what the announcer says. So, you know, the you can't whole, see your competitors all either. the people in the arena, the people on TV, the people wherever, they all know what happened and they're yelling for it, but the, the swimmers in the water don't know. Oh. So there's like this prolonged <laughs> period of time oh where you're like, I don't know how to react. Like, I don't want to celebrate because what if I lost and like, you know, I'm supposed to be disappointed or what? So just, we all just kind of sit there awkwardly and don't know what to do. And then, uh. You know, the referee blows the whistle again. That means the competition's over. My coach leaned over and said two words. He said, you won. And that was like just this immense, immensely gratifying feeling of all the expectations gone. The moment's over. It, it panned out. I did what I wanted to do. Wow. Nobody's going to be disappointed. And now you can just kind of like soak this up. And the, Paral- the Paralympics does a great job of like you get out of the water and you soak it in, man. Like you wave and people are cheering for you and they're so excited. You wave again and you go through this media tent where all these people want to ask you all these questions. How does it feel to be a gold medalist? And you're like, I don't know. It's so great. And you're like, you, you know, you get to like, <laughs> like oh, I'm, I'm huffing and puffing and I want to say something profound, but I just can't because I'm super excited. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a cool moment, man. It's oh, just, God. it's out of this world. Wow. Let me, I, this, I want to ask you a question. It's going to seem a little bit regressive, but um, as a blind swimmer, how do you manage to, I mean, anybody that swims, particularly over any distance, understands that swimming in a straight mm, line is a little difficult. Guiding. Man, <laughs> how do you guide? How do you swim in a straight line? Well, thankfully, swimming already has these kind of organic barriers, right? Like there's the lane lines in between right. each lane, and there's a wall on either side. So there's quite literally a box that I can't, without hurting myself, get out of that box. I do make this joke that blind swimming is just a little bit like like watching NASCAR, right? Like the the eight blind dudes jump off the block and everyone kind of just cringes because they know that someone's going to crash at some point or another and it's not going to be a a pretty thing. Um, So I do two things. Uh, One, I've kind of, you guys know, it's Australian crawl kind of stroke. And so I, I drag my fingers along the surface of the water on my forward arm recovery. And what I'm doing is I'm looking for the lane line on either side. Right. So imagine like, you know, my body's huh. basically making a Y at any point. And I'm kind of looking out to the left and then looking out to the right for the lane line. And if I hit it, I know I'm, I'm creeping over on that right side. And I do what I call bending. Basically, like 
you don't want to overcorrect because then you just go right back to the other side. Mm-hmm. I just kind of move. I just bend my hips out of alignment with my shoulders and just try to cruise back into the middle of that lane and kind of adjust that way. So I'm, I'm at any point, I'm kind of vacillating somewhere in between the left and the right hand side. And as fatigue sets in, you know, we're all, none of us are completely symmetrical. So I'm definitely stronger on my right side. So I tend to pull right, all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of the tactics of staying straight. Uh, and then on the walls, uh, a teammate or a coach actually stands on the side of the pool with about a, a six foot long pole. It's, a, it's actually my blind cane, the cane I use to tap when I'm right. walking around. We, we jam a tennis ball on the end of that. And as I come into the wall, they come in and they whack me in the back. That lets me know that I'm, you know, what, I'm about a meter away from the wall. And we actually huh. worked that timing over and over and over again, just like passing a, re- uh, passing a baton in um, a track relay. You know, they, when they practice mm-hmm. that movement so, so often that it's just like, you know, you start your stride, arm back, got the baton and move. It should be a fluid movement. So I'm counting my strokes and I know about when I should be at the wall and I start prepping for it. Instead of rotating all the way up on my side, I kind of keep my keep my chest plain in, with the water, uh, the bottom of the pool, and as soon as I get that tip, uh, that tap, I uh, I flip over and do my forward roll, and it's one, of, it's another like leap of faith things, right? Like you get the tap, you roll over, and you hope the wall's gonna be there when your feet hit. Yeah. Sometimes um. it's not. Sometimes you're a little long, so you got to like extend out, and you're like, oh shit, like you know, the, you the, lo- the lose the you force, extend, yeah. the less of a push off you get. So there's that. It's a sweet spot. It doesn't always work out great, but that's what uh, Paralympics are great where there's uh, there's, it's controversial, but there's great parity across all the athletes. Like everybody that I swim against has got the same exact problem set, right? They're all trying to do this all blind and it's who can do this the best blind. Right. Um, and <laughs> turns out that's me some of the time, which is nice, but, um, you know, uh, it's a unique challenge set and it's, uh, it's a, it's fun. You know, I, I left the sport in 2006 after college and moved into, you know, uh, full-time Navy stuff. And, it's fun to come back at it with this kind of additional challenge. You know, it's, uh, it's fun to do it in the mm. dark. You know? Interesting. That's a great point, man, because you can't see your competitors. You guys are, you're swimming with everything you got every time you get in, right? Yeah. I, I, love I mean, it you can't come off in the wall right? and save yourself for the next race, man, because yeah. you don't have any idea. That's, that's yeah, another thing you don't think you gotta, about, man. You, you got to, right. I, I, I talk to young athletes about this, like in training it's, and it goes, it's, it goes back to kind of stoicism, right? Like you, there is a way to dig the best that you have out of yourself, right? You have to find that edge. You have to find that – you have to get all the way mm-hmm. to this is the most I can put out in this moment, and I have to sustain that, right? Uh, and then there's, there's little tricks. Like if, I'm, if I've got my eyes closed uh, – or, or in my case, it doesn't matter if they're open or closed. But <laughs> I imagine – I always imagine the guy to my right is just in front of me, right? So oh, I got to cool. continue to dig deep. I could be ahead by a 50 meter or so, and it doesn't matter. I'm going to imagine that I'm losing because that ups my energy level and makes me want to get into that wall first. Uh, you know, young athletes always run into mm. this problem of, well, you know, for a 400, a 400 is a long race for swimmers. It's a five minute long race. You don't want to go out and burn everything you have up in the first hundred. But mm-hmm. if you're next to a rabbit kind of guy. You have this tendency to look over and be like, well, he's going out fast. I'm going to go out fast. Swim your race. You do your plan and just swim like you're blindfolded and, and execute your race. And there is a way for you to mentally get the best out of you. And I, I love that dynamic. I love kind of coaching that dynamic. Oh, as that's well. great, man. Mm-hmm. You guys absolutely do swim your time, right? Yeah, that muscle, absolutely. I, I mean, have to, right? Yeah, that, that's a great point, sure. man. When you flip over and do that kick, the worst is when you kick out and just into your toes rub on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Oh, crap. Like complete loss of momentum. But then, yeah. again, it, 
it's like a never give up thing. Team never quit, right? Like if you just grab it with your toes and you better get your momentum back up, otherwise you're out. Oh yeah, you know? boy, you start kicking like a madman, dude. That's that's intense, brother. That's I, it's cool. I'm glad, you, you, I'm glad yeah. you went down that. Uh, brought talked about that, man, because it's some of the stuff that you don't think of. Because when we're watching, I'm just so fired up to watch you swim, right? Yep. And then when you, if you sit back and think of just everything that goes into the, I mean, how technical the that you had to be to swim like that. That's right. amazing. All right, so you have you you won the gold. You a year after you 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 changed your perspective. The one thing that I really love about what you say all the time, Brad, is perspective. I'm a huge guy on perspective, right? If you can reshape perspective at any minute of any day through your entire days that you're alive, right? Once you understand the concept, but you know. How has your perspective changed since that moment? I mean, that was 2011, you know, 2012. And man, that was a while ago. Where's your perspective now? And, and what's happened in that time? And, and, and what are you doing with this new perspective? I think since that point, I think, you know, especially in London, and now I've had the opportunity to kind of go back to the Paralympics in Rio, what I have learned, it's more like a trust in the system from the Naval Academy and the things that we teach there and the leadership curriculum, the ethics curriculum, the, the things that are reaffirmed in our training to the things that we reaffirm once we're at a mobile unit or a team or wherever else to the things, to our experiences on deployment and the habits that we have, like constantly debriefing and kind of building up that thick skin where if you mess up something uh, out on a mission, you're like, we're going to call you out for that. And we're going to hold you to a certain standard. There's just a way that we behave, uh, a culture in our, our warrior ethos that guides us on uh, how to mitigate or uh, work through these situations. So I've been able to do it for myself, uh, but now going out and, and speaking about it and, and trying to capture it for others has reaffirmed my understanding of the process and it's made me desire to do it more for everybody else, right? That's like cool. I, I see how it works. I see how it's, it's gotten me through really tough situations. And, and now it's, uh, I, I can... There's almost nothing you can throw at me that I can't handle because I know how to do it. Does that make sense? Like the mm-hmm. makes you complete sense. principles. Absolutely. Sure. I, I get the principles. I see the wisdom. I've applied them in you know multiple different venues and I've seen it successful. And now my challenge is, you know, pull those out in snippets or approaches or uh, tactics that I can then give to other people to say, it doesn't matter what your challenge is, if it's adapting to a disability, if it's wanting to become a special operator, or if it's wanting to go to Harvard and study public health, whatever your challenge is, I'm confident that I can give you a set of tactics that will help you navigate that terrain. Uh, and that's kind of like my current mission. That's awesome. Mm. That, uh, now, you, mm. you are currently, are you teaching at the academy? Is that what you're doing? Yes, I, I teach the, the gamut of our different uh, classes that we teach within the leadership department, whether it's this, uh, the, the plebe course for the freshmen, all the way up to the, the junior level leadership course, the ethics course, and then a couple electives, most notably a class called Code of the Warrior, where we evaluate different warrior cultures across time from the Vikings to the Spartans to Zulu warriors and so on and so forth, and figure out why cool. those codes exist uh, and how is that relevant to today's modern warfighter. Uh, and I love it. And my goal, I got a two-year offer. My goal, they told me I need to get a master's. If I can get a master's, I can maybe stay here and keep doing it for for a while. So I, I love it. I love being in the classroom. 
the the future is bright with these these midshipmen. I, I tell you, we've got an increasingly high caliber group of midshipmen that just blow me out of the water every time we're in the classroom. Uh, I'm glad I got to the academy when I did because I don't think I would have been accepted at this particular <laughs> point. They keep getting smarter. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I love being there in, the, in that capacity and I actually just bought a house down in Annapolis and I'm really excited about uh, moving down there full time and kind of you know, putting my, my flagpole in the ground and calling it home. You know what I mean? That's cool. Hey, Brad, I want to ask you a question. I kind of missed my opportunity. We were just talking about perspective and this is kind of a simple or a simplistic question, but would you say you are more happy now, less happy, or about the same as compared to when you lost your sight? And why? Significantly more happy. Significantly. The, the difference is, is crazy. And I, I think it, we talk a lot about this in the, the veteran transition world, right? Like this is a, an area where a lot of folks struggle. You go from being this, you know, deployed special operator, doing all kinds of crazy stuff downrange and you feel like you're kind of capable of anything, right? Like mm-hmm. I can make stuff things, I can make stuff blow up. I can prevent stuff from blowing up. I can jump out of aircraft. I can dive. I can, you know, I can save people who have been injured, blah, blah, blah. You like, you feel like, you know, there's, there's nothing I'm not capable of. Purpose. Um, Per, yeah, and I've, I'm I'm connected to my purpose. I'm in Afghanistan, and I'm taking these bombs out of the ground where kids are playing soccer and stuff. You know, like I can see how relevant I am in this world. Mm-hmm. Now you take all that away, and it's like, shoot, like, well, what am I, what am I doing? And and, and I think Dave, you even said this, like, I, I get to continue to serve, but that wasn't a leap I made right away. Like for a while, it took me a while to see, like, yeah, I feel really great and patriotic about being on Team USA. It took me a while to see that as service, and that. Now I get that. I, I understand that this is my form of service. Now I'm in the community trying to, you know, provide these tools and tactics on, you know, negotiating adversity, and, and that is a form of service. Um, but mm-hmm. I would say, like, you know, my 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 job in Afghanistan, I, I absolutely love that, and I remember many mm-hmm. moments uh, out 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 and about in town. Like I, I specifically loved working with the group of people that I work with, the most amazing people that America has to offer. Our the way that we responded to crisis was incredible, uh, and there's lots of stories to go along with that. But it's just it was an amazing experience. But from mm-hmm. a from a personal standpoint, when we get back to base, I was lost. You know, like my dad was gone, and it, it you know losing your dad is is a unique experience for all of us. It's gonna if it hasn't happened, it's gonna happen. And you know, you, for me, like my dad was my guiding guiding everything for all of growing up. Like he's the one who explained everything to me. He's wow. the one who taught me what all these things mean. You know, like I remember playing baseball catch with my dad and, you know, baseball catch is a game, right? You throw a ball back and forth, but not for my dad. It was like an exercise in perfection. Every catch, there's a certain Mm. way you do that catch. There's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. And Mm. every catch, he would critique me on how I caught that ball. And, you know, it just reaffirms that lesson of if something's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Do Mm -hmm. it correctly and do it well the first time and Mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. So I, I learned all those things from my dad. And when your dad's gone, like, man, I just, I don't, it's me now. It's like, I'm making these decisions for myself. I'm not trying to make my dad proud. I'm, I'm just doing this for me. And that's a weird spot to be in. So like I said, in Afghanistan, at that particular time in my life, I wasn't really connected with myself. I wasn't connected with my, I was connected with my purpose while working, but not when I wasn't. And now I am like, I understand mm-hmm. me. I understand what I'm trying to do. I understand the world. I understand this kind of loop on negotiating challenge and all that sort of stuff. And it's given me like not only a a real strong sense of self, a real strong sense of purpose and a confidence in executing on that purpose. And I think 
that's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to mm-hmm. live an example of how that works so that others can maybe uh, follow in that too. I, I see that in the vet transition space too, is that that lack of connection with purpose. And that causes a lot of people to kind of get upset or depressed or kind of question what they're trying to do. And I think we can bridge that gap with, again, these, these discussions, discussions like this for sure. Amen. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, what, one of the things we like to do before we totally wrap up is, is, you know, we talked in the beginning about our listeners that are at home and, and, you know, that might not have the dad like your dad or my dad or Marcus or, or wizards or might not have the attachment to purpose or the unique purpose, the perspective of servitude and how fulfilling that can be. So I always ask our guests saying for that person that is, you know, in the dark, so to speak, on which direction they should go in their life, what advice can you give them to get in the water, to, to get into the competition or to get back in the fight? What are some of the things that you think about and talk about and use every day to, to kickstart your life, to live that life full of purpose? Well, first, first the idea, the, my reaction was, to, I, I use this kind of the statement, invest yourself. You know, we talk uh, leadership, like we, we try to define leadership at the Naval Academy. What is leadership? And what's the, if I always get this at the end of the speech, what's your one advice on leadership? And leadership's a very dynamic right, kind there, of thing. It's impossible, it's right? On one, one thing there, yeah. But invest yourself, you know, put yourself, if your people know that you care about them 100%, invest yourself, then they're going to do anything for you, right? They're going to, that's how you establish trust. It's how you establish respect. If they know that you're just, you know, punching your ticket and, you know, showing up at nine and leaving at five, then, you know, they're not going to care about you, but invest yourself in something as a person. Now, and then the, the second concept is what I call an anchor thought. They're, sports psychs call it, or psychologists call this something else. I don't know what they call it. I call it an anchor thought. I'm a Navy guy. I like the anchor thing. Um, <laughs> for, for, for me, it's like, you know, it's that thing that kicks you in the ass, right? Like yeah. it's Tyler for me. My anchor thought is Tyler. And actually I have a big tattoo of an anchor right here on my chest. It says TJT. Uh, for Tyler, um, God bless him. it's like whenever I start feeling sorry for myself or like, man, my day's crappy or I'm so stressed out or I got all this stuff going on. I'm like, you know, I, I got to make the most of this because he gave, he gave this to me. He gave this moment to me. He died downrange, you know, and he, he offered me the moment to be here. And this is a moment that he doesn't have. And I need to make the most of this moment. And that's how I always reframe my perspective. Now, I know that not not everyone who's listening has lost someone in that way. So your your anchor thought could be anything, right? It could be your dog, it could be your spouse, it could be you know the goal of being a, a the high score winner in Tetris or whatever it is. Like I don't care what it is, whatever you're passionate about, whatever tickles you on the inside, you got to find mm-hmm. that thing and and frame it out, shape it, associate an image, know what it looks like, tattoo it on your chest. I don't care, but have that anchor thought so that when you find yourself bogged down, the treads are stuck in the mud or whatever, you use that anchor thought to reframe your perspective and charge forward. You know what I mean? I love Absolutely. it. Anchor thought. I dig it. Wow. That's cool. Well, Brad, man, you're, you're, you really are an amazing human being, bro. I'm, I'm feeling so, yeah. just so fired up right you, now. You, did, and you did this to me by firing me up at the beginning. And so, like, when you get me, like, when I'm fired up, like, <laughs> I love it. Out. I can't wait to hang out with you. I'm, I'm, com- yeah. I'm coming to, to the area here soon, and I'm planning to make a trip over to see our buddy over there uh, with you. 
And uh, I, we are gonna hang out, bro, and and we are gonna light that fire on the two of us, and we're gonna we're gonna turn it on. What I what I want you to tell <laughs> our listeners is where can they find more Brad Snyder? Where can they follow you on social media? Where that can they get your book? The whole deal. I appreciate the plug. Uh, I'm uh, Brad Snyder USA on most platforms, though I really just focus on Twitter because it's the most accessible. I love Twitter. I, uh, my website is bradsnyder.us. Just a little information there, some photos and whatnot. And then my book is called Fire in My Eyes. Uh, it actually released last year uh, in time for the Alive Day, September 7th. So it's been it's really nice. That the, the purpose of the book was to kind of dive into the story I can't really tell in a 45-minute keynote. And it goes into a little bit depth on, on Tyler specifically and, you know, why how our brotherhood was formed and, and how I framed out that anchor thought and all that sort of stuff. So I, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to share this story with you guys. You guys are heroes to cool. me and uh, it's, this is a cool moment for me. So I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Brad, you, 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 man, you, you are definitely one of the brothers of the brotherhood and, and we're just, we're mm. honored that with your service and what you did and what you sacrificed, but even more what you're doing now and how you're serving those midshipmen, how you're serving all the people that you come in contact with. And that's what a, a, a true member of the United States Navy does even long after they hang up the uniform. So, brother, I'm proud to call you shipmate, and I am stoked to know you as a friend now, man. God bless you, dude. Who you are, brother? I Absolutely. appreciate it. You guys take it easy. I, man, I got nothing to say. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of sitting over here for some pearls of wisdom. I mean, I I was writing stuff down. Good job, brother. Thanks for coming <laughs> on, man. There's <laughs> just sometimes when you're supposed to you sit and shut up. Yeah, say. man, nothing to say. <laughs> just be quiet. I love Take it. Take care of yourself, brother. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. If you're ever out in D.C., let me know. Absolutely, Brad. God bless you, Good man. Thing. Take care. Brother, I don't care. I don't I don't care if you're an athlete. I don't care if you're a veteran. I don't care. I don't I just don't care. When you hear that cat talk, I mean I'm telling you what, first off, I think it's a pure miracle what happened to him. The fact that he right. only lost hmm. his life. How many dudes do we know that did? I mean, Matt Bourgeois. That bourgeois stopped. I mean, that, he was second guy killed for us in Afghanistan out of Tarnak Farms. He stepped on a mine, done, right? How many other friends that we know that have lost limbs or, or been maimed or killed that Are you way? talking about a 40-pounder? That was the first one. Yeah, I was no. going to ask him, did he say what kind of mine 40, he's... A 40-pounder? That, that's serious. That couldn't have gone high order, though. 40 pounds, high order, that would have... It killed two dudes. Yeah, depends on what it was. The I mean, because if it's designed, he got lucky, yeah. is what I'm saying. No, I believe how it's fortunate is that divine intervention, man. I, and I, I've been hit by a couple low orders before, and that just makes you. Uh, oh, well, you man, just feel the really mind deals the scariest <laughs> thing. I mean, right? Really, really like, lucky. Like God, that's looking out for me. And MEOD cats. They, oh, get, bro. they get a lot of respect in our community, but if, if anybody, if y'all out there aren't familiar with those cats, man, they've lost a third of their community, right? Yeah. EOD has. And <laughs> I'll never forget what first patrol in Ramadi had the EOD up with us in the line, and then point man uh, gave the signal back that we had something. 
So he EOD EOD up. You know, he comes running <laughs> up and he looks back to to after it's all clear and he goes, I'll you ought to hear him tell you, man, I looked back about 200 yards. All I could see was little green eyes hiding behind walls. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first patrol. Totally, yeah. dude. And totally. I mean, we were like, is it safe? <laughs> oh, totally, man. And then toward, you know, towards the middle, they're just jerking wires. They sent a mule in on us one time that they had, uh, you know, they pack them full. Yeah. Of yeah. Dang, man, they get pretty creative. Anywhere. They'll put it anywhere, <sighs> anytime, anyhow. Oh, man. I got a lot of respect for those guys, though. They're sharp. Huge. Squared away, dude. Yeah, sharp. Squared away. They do the full workup with us and everything. I mean, they are part, I mean, they're part of the team. Absolutely. Well, well, not about the, it. the Special Warfare SEAL teams have integrated into that. It's kind of an attachment to everything. Yeah. Just like our, everyone gets body armor. We all get EOD guys. Everybody gets some SEALs with it. It's like one big package. Yeah. Pretty cool. That is really cool. That's the way it should be done. What I love it was your, my favorite question answered through the whole thing was you wizard when you said are you happier now or were you happy and he's like dude no doubt i'm happier now and when you heard him answer it i mean it's it, that's powerful stuff it was convincing I mean, it, there was no question is my immediate response i wanted yeah. to ask him if um see that, i don't know if it's gonna make sense if your if your senses well i guess they do it's probably maybe a dumb question your senses drive your life Mm-hmm. I heard him, his final stuff, what he's talking about in terms of what he teaches and, and working with those midshipmen mm-hmm. and teaching those class on leadership as getting out and talking to different uh, crowds and all that, man, that's what I heard, Marcus. I heard it has. It has changed his entire life. I mean, so think- it's not what my point with that is, it's not your, how strong you are, how fast you are and, and, and your limbs, and your abilities and your looks at your senses. And if you well, lose one of them, I'm wondering I, if that takes away. Oh, I know it does. My point is, is does it, it enhance the others yeah, to create it, to create aven, different perspective avenues of perspective? Wait, wait. So, are you saying that? Okay, obviously, we know that if you lose one of your one of your senses, it changes the the strength of the other ones. And but you're are you saying that therefore, since your senses are perceiving the world, or different senses are perceiving the world differently? That changes your perspective of the world. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I, yeah. Which is that's not what I'm saying. That's what I'm wondering. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just. It's a good question. No, I'm. I'm. You know what I mean? It's, it's kinda, a great question. I, when I when people ha- when they when they were blind and they get the ability to see, you know, that opens up a whole new pathway, which is crazy to talk about this because, of course, you need that. But there's people who don't have it. Yeah. It's like dropping us into the water when you, on a dive when you can't see everything's ripped away from us. Oh, man, I hate it. All you have is that in your head. Yeah. Right? That in your compass. Yeah. And then when you can gauge. see a little bit, you're like, whoa. And then as it just gets bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger, and then the other ones go down. Yeah. Complete deprivation. But I wonder if there's a way to... Well, this you know, is, man, we're in a rabbit hole. No, we're, no, we're not. Because you're on to something very interesting to talk about. When you talk... Because there are all these other things out there. There's sensory deprivation tanks. There's uh, transcendental meditation. There's all these effort, different components of uh, exploring a greater sense of who you are, where you fit in in the world, how the world feels externally, internally. So it, you're on to something unique there. So for our listeners out there, what I you know what is an interesting thing to to question about yourself and and if you are in those troubling times if you are in those difficult situations and you're stuck and you're locked in one space 
you know, perhaps take a different perspective. Take something away that makes you feel gratitude at a higher level, right? Spend a day blind. Spend a day uh, not speaking. Spend a day, uh, take something away from you that gives you uh, a very established sense of comfort. Remove it from you in order to enhance those other types of emotional uh, ideas or those other emotional senses to where you can come back and elevate the things that you do need to elevate to develop that never quit mindset. I think that's a, a, a incredible perception or a, yeah, a concept to explore. That'd be pretty amazing what it activates. You're, you're, on to you're absolutely right. I, I think just a slight change in the angle of your perception makes a huge difference. Bam. I have a question. I want to. I want to go. Okay. Uh, based on this whole p- issue of perception. Obviously, he said, you know, having this having this purpose was really fulfilling his happiness and making him happy. That made me think of the inverse. And based on the other guests that we've had recently and how important they've been talking about, oh, your bucket of whys, which is your purpose, it's your reason for moving forward. We hear that so often. Can a person be happy? And this is a question for both of you. Can a person be happy without purpose in life? Is it possible? No. Hands down. No way. No. Well, for example, a person who uh, you, they, gotta be, they you have to have something to be happy enjoy, about. They just enjoy luxury in life, and they—that's their existence on a, on a daily basis. They just continuous enjoyment, well, recreation. I, I, there's a cat out there, Albert. Without a purpose. There's a cat out there, Albert Camus. Right, he, he, great existentialists out there, or Jean-Paul Sartre, or one of those. And they talk about just being, being content and living in the space that you're at and where mm-hmm. you're in and not no expectations, no, mm-hmm. no. All, and you just be in that space and that can generate potentially a, a status quo that's that's pleasurable in some capacity, mm-hmm. right? Not applying any pressure of uh, the future and what you hope to attain or what you goals and even How can you do that? Because you spend a lot of time working on it, thinking about it. Oh, that's my point. I mean, you train training. It, it's tough to do. I would. I mean, how would you? Well, think about all the time people who. I think a lot of people do exist without at least strongly defined purposes. I think everyone has majority. Okay, majority. Ma- all right. If you I, think listen, the majority give, of people exist listen. without a strong, strongly defined purpose. One of my so a purpose I, to better themselves. Right, objectives, goals, ideals that you that you are pursuing, and that is your reason for living. And a lot of people probably exist simply just to continue living. One of the talks I give is called Live With Purpose. I spent about almost a year and a half researching purpose, right? Mm-hmm. And on every, every different plane you can imagine, right? And you, you look at... Obviously, you find people that have been incredibly successful or bad failures or whatever it is, and there's a driving component in their lives that allows them to, uh, you know, move into a space of of heightened sacrifice and all these other kinds. And it's purpose, and that purpose mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, is absolutely the essential component to deliver you an emotional state that is not this you know homeostatic state not just like the all right i'm just here it drives either your fear yeah no man absolutely and i don't believe there is happiness in that at all and i think he's the perfect example 
This guy is the perfect example of that. Here he is, a Naval Academy grad, you know, special operations, uh, deploying to Afghanistan, loses his sight. And within a year, the man's winning a gold medal. And, and, and now, now he's, I mean, that part is crazy. I I didn't put that together when you said the dates. That's, that's something right there. Eight months. Eight months, dude. He was still in the hospital and he was in his first meet, man. Now, and, and you heard his response, wizard, you heard it. I've never been happier than I am now. And so that goes back to the, think the, the question that Marcus put forth to our listeners there. Hey, you know, think about what you have. Think about all how you 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 perceive the world, whether it's your actual senses or whether it's your emotional sensitivity or whatever it is, and allow that to to come in. And if you're not perceiving the world in a healthy, positive, happy manner, take some away. Remove some of the the influences that you have that can help you to discover, wow, maybe I need to establish a purpose, whether it might just be, I want to get up and exercise every day. That's my purpose. Or like he was saying, if you have nothing right? else, start with something arbitrary until you find it. Right. Right. And then what I, what I love about him is invest in it, man, that, that thing hit me hard. How about you? When you um, heard him say that? No, I'm, it's just funny. His perspective and how fast I me, mean, you, you kind of, the knowledge he was dropping on us was that of a, Somebody's Super been around rise, a long dude, time, man. right? Oh, he's an intelligent guy. Right, absolutely. And then, well, evidence. experiences, there's certain experiences that can shotgun you past uh, where you should be on the age line, so to speak. <laughs> and for him to have, you know, you tell it, you know, losing a buddy puts you in the dark spot. And so, man, down in the gutter, right? Down in, in that bottom of that rabbit's hole, climb back out and push forward and take everything you learned with you. Well, his buddy, Tyler Trahan, I mean, that was a person you could tell had a profound impact on his life. Yeah, we could have got, I think, a lot deeper into that, but uh, you're right, for sure. That whole, and the whole concept of anchor, he said that's where he got the anchor thought concept from, right? From him, from that loss, that, that mm-hmm. his, the fact that he doesn't have another day on this earth every day motivates the hell out of him, man. How cool is that? To take something as tragic as losing your best friend Right, the guy that you're, you're his swim buddy, total swim buddy in life is gone, but he's not. He's living, and that's what I wanted to say to him: is, hey man, Tyler's living. He's a part of you. He's he's his soul, mm-hmm. his energy. He is active and a participating in your path every single day. So man, mm-hmm. that's pretty pretty epic. You know what I mean? Listen, if if this is Hopefully, man, if this is your first time, listen, thank you for coming to our show. But more importantly, thank you. And I hope you pay attention to what Brad said, man, because that guy, like you said, Marcus, he has been catapulted to another level of wisdom. And he, he was amazing. If you're coming back and again, you're back here for multiple shows. We, we are totally grateful for your your support and hopefully you're you're spreading the word and you're 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 building this team never quit community with us as we are man we're we crested over 2.7 million downloads we were nominated as one of itunes top podcasts last year i mean i i think we're doing pretty good again this year mm-hmm. too 
Uh, you know, and, and what I'm loving even more than anything, man, is just the overwhelming support that's coming in from out there from y'all by you guys sending in your story. You can go and you can just filter through, you know, hundreds of stories that we've received, these incredible never quit stories combined with with these amazing people. And and it's just we're really what we're what our mission is, what Marcus the Wizard and I are. Well, our mission in life is to keep serving all you by helping you understand the power of the never quit mindset and to give you a vehicle to experience that in a way that's going to help you overcome your obstacles and face your adversity in a positive, healthy way. So I got a reader story here. This is from Tyler. My name is Tyler. I am 14 years old and my never quit moment is when I started cross country running in mid 2015. My sister was a great runner and when she finished high school, she had enlisted in the armed forces. I've looked up to her and have always wanted to be as good as a runner as she was. So in my eighth grade year, I signed up for my school's cross country team. When I started running, I was horrible. I couldn't run more than three miles without walking and almost vomiting. I felt like I was at the bottom of the food chain because I was always last in our practice runs. I almost quit the team, but that's when I found the story of Operation Red Wing and the Marcus Luttrell story. I've always found the military interesting. However, I had not read a lot about the SEAL teams or Marcus and found this story very interesting and decided to read about it a little bit more. I watched one of Marcus's presentations and it was one of the most inspiring speeches I have ever listened to. After listening to it, I decided not to quit the team and keep running. In a matter of weeks, I found myself improving my running times, beating people I never thought I could. By the end of the cross country season, I placed sixth in the middle school championship. That same track season, I ran my fastest mile at five minutes and 16 seconds. I credit my running success to my coaches and family, but it was Marcus's story that inspired and gave me the never quit mindset. I would like to thank him for inspiring me for his service and his service to the country. I would also like to thank the whole team never quit team, my cross country team, and all the fallen soldiers of Operation Red Wing. How about that guy? Yeah, that's cool, man. Thanks, buddy, buddy. For, for writing in. Yeah, it's, uh, it means a lot every time you hear something like that. When, especially the youngsters, right, walking the line and, and remembering the guys. That's my, it's not my story, obviously, but I, I, that was the hardest part I had to swallow, right, and figure out. Was yeah. when I, was like, I was like, man, you know, would you try to – I get it. I get it, man. I Thank you. Uh, I can say that now. I That's do that, cool. Man. Yeah, That's yeah. what happens with a little bit of wisdom, right? Yeah, a little you know, bit thanks, of age. thanks, partner. And I, hmm. I wish you all the best. Absolutely. Well, welcome That's to the team. Awesome. Nice. Well, you know, I just, man, I, I want to, one, thank you, Tyler, for writing in. But I, I want to start out. I want to thank God. I want to thank Christ. I want to thank my girls, my family, my friends. I want to thank Brad Snyder, man, because, man, he, mm-hmm. he gets me fired up up dude i don't know what it is about him but his energy his positivity man he painted a picture for us today or for me in particular that made me so thankful for everything that i have all my senses 
all the people that I have around me, what I get to do for a living. I can't, I'm pinching myself right now, gents. And the fact that in today alone, who we were able to bring on, on the show with us and the impact that that's going to have out to all these incredible listeners, these incredible people that are on the team, never quit team. And what that I get to do that for a living, man. So thank you, Brad, for helping me remember that. And, Marcus Wizard, thank you for helping me live out this mission, man. Yeah, Todd, thanks for writing in, man. I remember my, uh, you know, our teammates. That that means a lot. That's that means a lot. Brad, I tell you what it is about Brad, man, is he's better than me at most things without his eyes than I am with mine. That's what I find so fascinating about him. You know what I'm <laughs> no, but, uh, Brad, thanks for taking the time and coming on here. And thanks for uh, bringing home the gold for our country. Amen to that. Man, just walking the line and, yep. and then walking it again. Keep charging forward, both of you, Tyler and Brad. And uh, thanks to everybody for keep bringing this back. It's it's unbelievable, man. I, uh, I thank God every day for it. So I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. I'm out. Out. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 